0: sick with the slay sick of gotten for fame for the not for the grand destined for pain i do not front i do not scam put some respect on my name sick like a bang clicking a bang y'all going remember the name y'all gonna remember the name what's up ladies and gentlemen boys and girls around the world i would like to welcome you back to the real talk with zubi podcast on today's episode we have got on another brilliant and intelligent guest he is a professional high stakes poker player. He is also an entrepreneur and speaker. And this is Alec Torelli. Welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, Zuby. Thanks for having me here. This is awesome. Really excited to do this.
0: Awesome, man. Alec, I've done a very brief intro there, but for people who are not familiar with you, please tell them a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. So I'm a professional poker player and coach as well. Like you mentioned, the entrepreneur side, I started a poker training site. Um, and investor as well. So I think poker has taken me in a lot in that direction, and I feel like a lot of the framework that's used to make decisions in poker at the poker table is also used in uh, decision-making and investing too, so we could talk about that. But my background, I got started in poker. It's actually um, celebrating 20-year uh, anniversary this year, which is crazy, I've been playing poker for 20 years. I started when I was 16, got invited to a friend's house. Poker was booming in the U.S., I won my first time playing, so I was hooked. I'm not really much into... Uh, I wasn't really big into sports. I wasn't good at basketball. I didn't make the team. Uh, I dropped out of football my freshman year. But poker really stuck. And I felt like that was something that I could excel at just because it had this element of like decision-making and strategy, which I loved and learned from chess as a kid, but also the psychology and like reading people and whatever. And I could beat my friends. So I was like hooked on this game. Um, so I got started 20 years ago. And then when I was at school at SMU... Um, Two years after that, I really had like a pivotal point in my poker journey. And this kind of, it's like the first decision I think you have to make is like which hand to play. And that's something that you learn at the poker table too. You get dealt two cards and you have to decide, do I want to play this hand or do I not want to play this hand? And so when I was at SMU, I realized like I either have to quit poker and focus on school or quit school and focus on poker. And so I couldn't do both because like one was taking away from the other. And I kind of did this like process that I use in poker where I, you kind of evaluate your risk. Like, what's the worst that could happen if you go all in and lose all your chips? You always have to be cognizant of what your downside is. But then you also have to weigh that against your upside. And so on the downside, I was like, well, I saved up 20 grand. I'm 18. If I drop out of school and you know, go all in to play poker, like the worst case scenario is I lose all that money. I'm one year behind everyone else. I come back to school at 19. I'm broke just like everyone else, but I'm one year behind. But my upside is like basically unlimited. Like I never would have thought. I would be where I am in poker, but like I just didn't know what the upside was. But I knew I could be traveling around the world, I could be playing high stakes poker, I could be doing what I love, I could be having all these wonderful experiences, and poker pay for it all. And so I kind of had that asymmetry, as I call it, where you have a fixed downside and a large upside. And that's also a principle in investing. If you have a risk reward proposition, uh, I know we're both into, into Bitcoin. That's how we met at the Bitcoin conference. Like where there's a fixed downside of whatever your initial investment is, but there's a huge potential upside that you know is I won't say unlimited, but that's uh, very asymmetric, those are situations to kind of go all in. And so, uh, at least in my opinion, so I, I made that choice in, in college to like, okay, I'm going to take a step back from school and really focus all in on poker. And that kind of allowed me to like take, get the at bat, right? I mean, luck is where preparation meets opportunities. So that's kind of where I got the at bat. And that's kind of how my poker career kick started.
0: Awesome, man. Well, there's a lot of places to go from here, but first I want to actually go backwards. So we started the story at 16, but let's go back a little bit. Earlier than that, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? What kind of kid were you?
1: Okay, cool. I grew up in Southern California and I was like, school came pretty easy to me, even though it was kind of boring at the same time. Like, and I often felt like I was learning things that I wasn't too excited about, but I could go through the process sort of quickly. Um, I love sports. I wanted to be a basketball player, but I'm five nine. And so that dream kind of faded as I got into high school and reality shook me, uh, which is kind of what was interesting about poker. It was like finally something I could win it because I wasn't great at sports. Um, I was in musical theater in high school, which was which was really cool. That was like a very great experience because it was obviously, as you can imagine, being like 14 and a guy in musical theater, you deal with a lot of social pressure, but at the same time, being able to overcome that and stand on stage and put yourself out there to sing is like a great life skill because you could handle a lot of the challenging and negativity and, and social criticism that comes your way. And obviously, in the position, you know, you and I are in, you know, how important that is, especially in today's world. I was an Eagle Scout in Boy Scouts. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I had friends, but I wasn't like the coolest kid in school. I was always outgoing, though, and I loved people. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, I mean... I'm trying to think of what other notable things from childhood but yeah Oh, that's all good, that's
0: man. Like, you don't you don't need to detail the whole biography. I'm just Yeah, uh, there you go. That's I'm my just background. I'm just curious because you know, with all these stories you always see where people are now, you know, by the time someone becomes t- well-known or reaches some type of prominence or success or anything, a lot of people start the story there. Um, but I like to go back and see okay, like you know, what actually what led up to all this point to you even, you know, being here on this podcast and all the other things that we're going to discuss. And oftentimes it, um, explains what it is that drives and motivates certain people as well. You know, things that happen at a young age, you know, with you discovering poker at 16, obviously that's a critical turning point for you. Was that your first ever game? So you, you just stepped in and played against your friends and that was your first ever game and you won?
1: No, so there's actually, which now that you mentioned this, it's kind of silly. I didn't include this because it's arguably the most relevant to where I am today. I
0: okay.
1: always would play poker. And you mentioned like how things in your childhood shape, you know, your formative years and like what you enjoy and what you're drawn to. I always would play poker with uh, my family. On Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, like what we would do together, we would have turkey or what we would eat and whatever. But then after that, like the highlight of our time together was that everyone would sit around the poker table and we would play Dealer's Choice. We actually played Texas Hold'em, which is which is crazy. We played this. Uh, and I have I, I wish I could find this photo, but I have a photo of me like sitting there, my legs don't touch the ground. I'm maybe like seven years old. And my mom would give me like, you know, five dollars to buy in. And then so I started to learn like the, the real real cool thing is looking back on it now. I could see how the personalities of each individual person in my family came out through the way they played poker. So my aunt Mm. was like very frugal, like very, very cautious, like didn't spend any money. And you could also see that she was a very tight poker player, so she wouldn't play any hands. But that was like reflection of how she saw the world and the decisions she made in the real world like came out through the way that she played poker. My uncle was Mm. like very loud and outgoing and funny and gregarious and he would bluff a lot he would play a lot of hands and he would always be in there like splashing around in every single pot so it was really interesting to start to see like learn about the people through the game of poker and I had that kind of at a formative age so I think when I discovered poker and also I realized that I could win against my friends which was like super cool because I couldn't win in any sports like it was just this like perfect catalyst of something that I loved doing and that I could see myself being good at but also had this like nostalgia element to it as well probably on a subconscious level of like this was like what I grew up doing and loving and, you know, associated with all these positive memories.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. So you were playing the game from age seven, really?
1: Yeah. Or maybe five, seven, eight, like something <laughs> around those very young years. Okay. Um, that's in so Boy interesting because we would play poker at camp outs and stuff like that too. So, okay. Yeah. It was, it was quite popular growing up.
0: It's so fascinating because we're the same age and I've never played a single poker game in my life.
1: Yeah. So it's I'm very, game it's game very game.
0: interesting what people, um, what people get exposed to and participate in uh, at young ages um so i mean yeah i mean i remember some people in the community playing poker when i was like a teenager but it wasn't something i was ever really exposed to and at this stage it's something i've never kind of gone out of my way to really learn like i don't i don't even know the rules i don't even know the basics of poker um, if someone asked me to describe the game, I'd have absolutely no idea. I just know that there. Yeah, like...
1: I think I think the cool <laughs> thing about it is that, I mean, so there's some luck element to where I was exposed to it, in that like this guy Chris MoneyMaker won the main event of the World Series of Poker. It was televised all over ESPN, and it became like in vogue, right? It became the thing that my friends did after school, and so instead of going to play basketball or football together, or whatever, which we did in middle school, in high school, people started going out to play poker against each other. So this became like. Mm there's like social clout around your ability to play poker. So it became like a very cool thing. But also I would say like a lot of, a lot of the audience, a lot of people listening probably haven't played. The the thing about poker is that there's a lot of like lessons that you learn and skills that you learn that also apply to general decision-making in life. And so like one of them is like, you know, capital management, like even if you're a really good player, If you're not good at at balancing the amount of money you're risking in any one hand or any one situation, you can lose all your capital. And it's the same thing in like investing your life, right? Like just because there's an opportunistic investment, you don't go all in with all of your capital because there's always a risk that there's a downside to that investment or that something could go wrong that's beyond your control. So that's a very basic framework that you learn. But then you also learn this general principle that applies very well to like decision making in life, obviously investing as well, but that like you're always making bets essentially you're just you're taking calculated risk like people that don't aren't familiar with poker consider it gambling but people that are familiar with poker consider it like a strategic game of skill that involves calculated risk taking and basically what you're doing in every hand you play so you kind of get to flex this muscle over millions of hands throughout your career is you're trying to make great decisions without all the facts so you have incomplete information you can't see your opponent's cards but you have this basic risk reward probability and then you have clues about the information you do have based on their betting pattern. So you're trying to like synthesize this puzzle and say, okay, I don't know exactly what the right decision is, but I still have to make a probabilistic bet. And I'd have to decide how much to risk based on how certain I am of the outcome. And that's kind of what you're doing in life, whether you're deciding, hey, I need to take a new job or move to a new city or um, take this new endeavor. Like you don't have all the facts. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know the result of that project or that opportunity or that investment, but you have to say, okay, even though I don't have the facts, there's still an expectation to this bet, and it could be you know, a positive expectation or a negative expectation. And then based on how certain I am and what I can afford, I have to decide how much to allocate either time, money, capital to this investment or this bet or this decision. And so that's like a really good framework that I think poker teaches you on a, on a micro level and that you could apply to other areas of life too. So it's like a very cool game.
0: Mm. I know. I definitely need to learn more about it. I, I kind of feel like I, it's one of those games that I feel like I should know how it works. And I'm, I I could probably learn it <laughs> in a matter of minutes. Maybe I'll do that after this podcast. Maybe I'll sit down well, and I'll just be like, you know what, let me let me work out how this game actually functions, because I just learned yeah, how American so I, football works last year.
1: Yeah, right. There you go. I mean, I think a lot <laughs> of people like, yeah, like people in the US don't know how soccer or rugby works. Uh, I'll send you a copy. Of my, I have a book called The Poker Coach, and it's meant for people that okay. have like never played poker that want to learn. And I'll, I'll send you a copy. but. I mean, a cool thing, too, is that it just, like, it's a very humbling game because it's so easy to learn the rules, just like chess, but then you'll find that there's always another level of complexity to the game. So it's very humbling because even, I've been in poker 20 years, but I always, and I learned this the hard way, frankly, through, you know, a roller coaster experience of, you know, believing into my own, like, believing that I was better than I was, that, like... Uh, it's it, it, there's, it's always humbling and there's always something to learn. And so I learned to kind of keep my feet on the ground and like, wow, I could learn the game in a minute, but to master the game is like an ongoing process. And it's also mm. um, and, and some, in some ways, it's also like a process of being, you know, having more emotional control, more mental control, being more self-aware, having less ego, less attachment to outcome. And so like all of these personal development traits that I've learned through the game as well, it's like very enriching, I think of an experience.
0: That's awesome, man. So let's go back. You were telling the story of you were in college and you were making the decision of whether you should stay in college or whether you should go and pursue a full time career in poker. So let's pick up on the story from there. What was the decision?
1: Yeah, so I basically like I kind of had this asymmetry to the upside where like, okay, the worst case scenario is I'm one year behind everyone. I lose my 20K or 30K and I'm basically in the same spot as everyone else, but a year behind. Oh, by the way,
0: sorry to interrupt, Alex. Alec, how did how did you have 20K saved up by 18? Was that through poker?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was playing poker since I was 16. So I had two years of, you know, I was also playing online. Um, And so, yeah, like I built up this this bankroll that I'd saved playing in live games, sneaking into casinos like there's some casinos that are 18 plus as well. Uh, and okay. so, you know, like just built up a a bankroll, as we call it in poker. and but my upside was like basically like unlimited, right? Like I mean, I just didn't know where the world would take me because this was like a a booming industry, but there was nobody of our generation who had come up through online poker that had made it. So there were no like role models or there was no like definition of what it would look like. But I just knew that this is like an exponentially growing curve, thanks to the internet, and poker's booming. And there's huge opportunity here. And, like, my upside is I could live my dream life and, like, see where that takes me, right? I'm 18 years old. I don't know what the future holds. So, basically, I dropped out of school. I went all in. And it became kind of time to, like, you know, I started to tell my roommate and I started to tell my friends in college and, like, some friends back home. But it came time to tell, like, other people uh, in my greater social circle, like my college counselor that had, like, been responsible for kind of shepherding me, shepherding me into the university and, like, making sure I was going in the right path. I had a scholarship to the school, and so it was funny because we had this conversation where it was like you know I broke the news and you could see like the life come out of her face like she was just a very traditional uh southern woman and like just didn't understand this decision poker also wasn't in the limelight like it is today where there's you know people there's professionals it's on TV there's YouTube channels there's social media it's like kind of all over um it was like a, a new industry a, you know a new niche and so I hear I was on the other side of the conversation like extremely excited adventurous like my whole life's ahead of me and so what I realized is like, you know, ha- having it's one thing to know to play your hand, and it, it's another. It's one thing to know what to do in a hand of poker. It's another thing to have the courage to make that bet, knowing that you could lose everything, and that you're going to have to face the social pressure of the people around you, even those nine people sitting with you at the table, and what they're going to think of you if you make if you do something stupid. And so it's kind of like that on a greater scale when you make these big life decisions that are like against the cur, like against consensus. If you make a con- decision with consensus. Even if you're wrong, it's okay because you did what everyone else thought, right? So if you go to college and you stick with it and then, you know, you don't get the job you wanted, well, at least you did the path that was normal. So that's like acceptable. But when you go against consensus and you do something that everyone else tells you is crazy, which everyone did in my life when I dropped out of school to play poker, then you have this like fear of losing all your chips, right? And so it, it creates this like distance between what you know is the right decision and your ability to execute on that decision because of this like fear thing. So I realized like the key that allowed me to do this was basically just that like, through the game of poker, I'd sort of learned to harness my instinct and, like, learn to trust that, like, hey, look, in every hand of poker I play, it's like tennis. You can't just call your coach in the middle of the point. You can't ask them what to, what to do. Like, when the ball comes to you, you have to hit it back. And poker is very much like that. Like, I'm sitting there. I'm alone at the table. Every hand I have to play on my own. And I have to learn to kind of, like, trust that, hey, when I think this situation is right, I go all in. And, like, I'm, I'm wrong sometimes, but most of the time I'm right, right? And that's what makes me good at poker. And I've learned that over the past couple of years but leading up to this point. And so I realized like, not most other people didn't know, you know, they had a different idea of what they wanted to happen for my life. But like the voice inside my head that spoke to me about what I wanted for my life was like louder than the combined voices of everyone else. And that really allowed me to kind of go all in. It was that framework of saying like, I understand and respect and listen to what everyone else is saying. But the the voice that's speaking to me about what my own truth is for my life is like louder than the sum of those voices. And I think that was pretty important.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. So, what was the next step though? I mean, so you're a teenager, you've dropped out of college. I mean, what what did you do next? Where were you? What was the I, so what was the first was what was the first big win? How how did you do it?
1: Yeah, great. Uh so I'm at SMU, I leave school. I realize like I can't play poker in the US. I'm 18 years old. You have to be 21 to do anything here, which is which is kind of it is what it is, it's kind of crazy, but Not to go to um, war. So I went to Australia or buy a big gun. and Right, except go to war. Right? but you can, <laughs> Anyway, poll. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't drink. You can't play poker. But um, so I went to Australia because there's a huge tournament there. It was January. I dropped out of school in October. So I went there and I played. I loved it so much that I decided to stay there after this big tournament series was over. I played what was then the biggest online tournament in poker history while I was living in Australia. And it was like a $600 buy-in. A couple thousand people entered. And 14 hours later, I won. So I won a quarter million dollars in a day playing this tournament. That gave me a large bankroll to be able to move up in stakes and play the higher limits that I always thought I was capable of playing. But of course, I had to build my bankroll slowly. So I started playing bigger limits. And throughout that year in 2007, uh, I was the seventh biggest winner in the world on the biggest website called Full Tilt. I won over a million dollars that year playing poker. And so this, when I told you that experience of, you know, Believing into my own skill, I kind of let that get to me. I was I was one of the best in the world, but I kind of started. The problem was I started believing into my own mm. my own BS and feeling entitled to keep winning because I had one, and it came you know not it came kind of so fast, and and I kind of got a lot of you know uh, publicity in the poker space. And so after that, I really got my butt handed to me because I let ego get in the way and I stopped learning. I stopped doing the things that got me to the top, feeling like I'm just entitled to be at the top, stopped listening, you know, studying and doing all the things that are required to to win at poker at a high level. And so I had to move back down because I lost most of that million dollars back over the next subsequent years and had to really grind it back from, you know, starting over basically. Um, And so that was like a really humbling lesson. And I learned and I vowed at that point, like I really learned that you know, I'm in this game because not because I want the money, but I want what the money represents, which is our way of keeping score. So in basketball, they use points and golf, they use you know points, whatever. So it really made me understand that I'm motivated intrinsically by my love for the game. And I really allowed me to like, step back and keep my feet on the ground and grind back up um, from the bottom. So when I was 21, I moved to Vegas, I played in multiple tournaments. Uh, I had a lot of success in, in the tournament scene in, in Vegas. I won was the only player to win back-to-back events at the Bellagio. Uh, when I was 24, I moved to Macau, which is um, the gaming revenue there is seven times bigger than Las Vegas. And so uh, it's an incredible scene. And there were there were some of the biggest cash games in the world where uh, people would come. From, it was kind of like the Olympics of poker, where all of these players would come from all over the world uh, in their respective countries that were you know the best in their countries vying for a share of the action because it was this once in a unique moment in poker history where gaming was booming in Macau poker was booming in Macau and all of these um, Chinese whales would come in all from mainland China, China to come and they would use poker to entertain their clients. And poker is a really cool game because, you know, in basketball, you want to play basketball. You can't just bring your five buddies and play with the Lakers. And like, even if you could, right, even if you could pay them some you know abs- absurd amount of money, they don't benefit from playing with you. And even if they, like, even if you pay them, they don't benefit from playing with you. So they don't have time to do this. But also, like, you're never going to win, but you're probably never even going to score a point. Like, you're not going to go dunk on LeBron. Like, it's, it's not going to be fun. Like, <laughs> it's, gonna be an, it's just not going to be fun. So in yeah. poker, you know, we, are professionals. So we win from playing with players that are worse than us. So like they basically don't have to pay us to play with them, but they can just play with the best players in the world. And they could learn from us. Every hand, we would show them our cards and explain to them what we're doing. But the best part for them is they could also win. Like it's a game of skill, but there's an element of luck, right? And life is very much the same. There is elements of luck. Like what hand you're dealt in life, like where you were born, your education, like your family structure, like that is luck. But then the rest of it is skill. It's like how you play your cards given what hand you're dealt. And so because that's the framework that poker operates under these Chinese whales, VIPs can beat us. So it was very fun for them to play with us. Although, you know, of course they would lose over time, but, um, so that was like, you know, really took my poker career to a different level. I lived there for four years. Um, and then 2017, I kind of 2016, I kind of moved back to the U S started playing on a national poker series called poker night in America. Um, my wife's from Italy. So we, we moved there part-time, um, opened a training site, conscious poker, got into investing in crypto. Um, Wrote a book called The Poker Coach, built a training site. That's kind of the entrepreneur side of things. Still playing poker, coaching a lot as well. Um, playing on the Hustler stream recently, which is the largest poker stream in, in the in the US or the world, and that's uh, streamed at the Hustler. So that's every every week, five days a week. I play on Wednesdays usually. So that's a very fun poker stream, and you guys could check out uh, my most recent hands and action on there, and then I I share all of them with the hands I play and I break down all the decisions on uh, my my YouTube called Conscious Poker. So that's really fun too. I make like daily vlogs about how to play, um, and so that's really fun for people that want to learn or just kind of see me in action or see the games in action and what it's like to play at a, at a high
0: level. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man, dude. There's a <laughs> lot of directions lot. to go here. Yeah, man. There was there was a lot right there. What's the what's the biggest lesson you learned from a big win, and what's the biggest lesson you learned from a big loss?
1: Well. The, the funny Especially thing having is, that big win
0: that, so early in life.
1: Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, is that you would want... What you learn from the loss is how to do the win differently the next time. And it's like, it's, it's this weird thing where like, when you win in poker, you have this confirmation bias that you're doing everything right. And that's not always the case because you could play mm-hmm. a hand badly and still win the pot. But like the way humans are hardwired is like, you know, when you... Choose the correct answers. You score highly on a test. When you do something well, you get rewarded for that action. And so, there's a, most things in life have a direct correlation between performance, uh, with decision making and performance or outcome. But that's not that way in poker. So, like typically, when when you win, the hard thing to do is is to to question what you could have done differently, despite that the results went your way. And so, what mm-hmm. I learned from the losses is that you have to always. Um, The losses helped me be more humble to understand, like, there's always something I could do better. And so instead of focusing on the outcome, which most people are focused on, especially in poker, like, I sit down at the table, I want to win money, I want to win $1,000 or $10,000, $100,000. What I'm focused on and what I encourage people to think about or like professionals that th- they focus on is just the process of making quality decisions and then realizing that winning money is the byproduct of doing that correctly. So even when I have a great session, I win a lot. Last week, I had a great session on the hustler. I still come home. I still review all the hands I play because I'm playing on a live stream, a televised game. I review all the tape. I run all the hands through a simulator, a solver, like think about the hands. I talk with friends about the hands. So I'm really process driven. And so like, what really frustrates me is not when I lose a hand due to bad luck, like a card came that cost my opponent to win the pot over me. What I'm really focused on is like, did I make the decision that would yield me the highest return in the long term, given the fact that I don't know their cards? And so mm-hmm. that's what losing really teaches you. It teaches you to be process driven because that's the only thing you can control. You can't control the, which cards are dealt, but you can control how you play the hand. And that's just a general framework for life, I would think, as well. And so losing really taught me that. It also taught me just that, like, you're not entitled to, to anything. Like, I'm not entitled to anything. Like, even though I became one of the best in the world at such a young age and I was on top, like, if I don't work as if I'm at the bottom, someone else is. So even today, you know, playing on the hustle or like, you know, back competing at the highest levels, I know that now I have the wisdom and and the awareness that somewhere in the world, many places in the world. There's some 16 year old in Uzbekistan or Kenya or here in LA that wants my spot. And they're watching my hands. They're watching everyone else's hands. They're studying all my tells. They're studying my weaknesses. They're studying my betting. They're studying everyone's betting patterns. They're running hands through a SIM and they're working. They're out. They might be outworking me. And so if I'm not working that as hard, if I don't get 1% better every day, if I don't do something every day to get a little bit better than I was the day before, I don't, I'm not entitled to that spot. I'm not going to have that spot. And so losing really taught me like, whoa, whoa, you know, from now on, like, I don't deserve anything. And if I don't work extremely hard, I'm going to be right back here at the bottom. This is not fun. I want to be at the top. Mm-hmm. So I have to work every single day, as if I'm at the bottom, as if it's my, my first time playing and, and remember that childlike fascination that I had with poker, and like go back to that place of like, burning desire to get better every single day. And, um, you know, that's been a huge transition point throughout my career.
0: That's awesome, man. And what about from winning? I know more lessons tend to come from taking Ls in life, but you know you can you can learn lessons from winning as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think winning, you know what it what it teaches me is just like how fleeting those moments are in life. like this is a big mm. like thing I learned in life too. like just when everything is going really well in life, it's it's kind of like having that perfect poker session. Like when you just sit down at the table, you get smashed with the deck, or you're in the zone, it's like you have this feeling like you can see everyone's cards, even though of course you can't, but like you have this feeling like you know exactly what to do in every spot, and you just crush it. Like you just crush the game. You're the big winner, everything's going your way, and you have an amazing high. And so for the next couple of days, you're kind of on this cloud. Like you can win you know, a lot of relative money in a short amount of time, and it's like this euphoria that you feel, this like ecstasy, this incredible high. And then you also have the maybe delusion, but also like the confirmation that like, you're so good, you did everything right, even though of course, there's an mm-hmm. element of luck. So you're on this completely cerebral high. And so what I realized is like, in life, you know, those highs or in poker, those highs don't last long, it's only till your next session, or it's only around the corner that and this is like not to be like doomsday, but like, life is about change. And there's ebbs and flow. And the only thing that's certain in life, they'll be change. So even when you're at this peak, and this incredible high, it's not going to last forever. And so mm-hmm. what I learned winning Is that like I really now have the maturity after having been at the bottom and been at the top and been you know up and down, is to be aware when I'm at that place and everything is going right, and to just take it all in and be extremely grateful for that moment. And I could realize I could, in the past, I wasn't aware of that moment until it was gone, and it was bittersweet Mm. because I was like, shoot, I was in that place, and I didn't appreciate it when I was there, but I appreciate it now because I'm down. And so now when I'm up and I'm winning, I'm like, I enjoy it more because I realize how hard it is to win and have everything go right in poker and in life. And so, like, now when I'm in the moment, I'm fully in it. And I made a story the other day where I was like, I realize that I'm on top and I know it's not going to last and I might lose next week. But for this moment, like, I'm here. And I. that was a great uh, feeling of development I've had in my own life where it's like I can see the good for when it's there and not only like mm. you know when it's not. So that's what a lot what's winning winning has taught me.
0: That that's actually a fantastic lesson, man. I think that's so relevant especially especially right now because I think that ever increasingly particularly in, you know, in our part of the world in the west there's an There's a major absence of gratitude. And I think that absence of gratitude is something that's at the root of a lot of downstream problems, whether you're talking about uh, mental health or you're talking about, uh, you know, countries or people sort of just engaging in self-destructive behaviors complaining about everything attacking other people a lot of polarization division i do think a lot of it at the crux is a lack of gratitude a lack of perspective lack of gratitude and when people don't have that they they often become self-destructive right they start attacking themselves they start attacking other people because they don't realize hey okay things How are not good perfect no, yeah nothing nothing's perfect but instead of just going hey you know what we've made some great progress and all of these things are fantastic or at least they could be they could be far worse on a historical scale on a global scale whatever but when people don't appreciate that they just uh yeah they just they just enter this state i think it happens both on an individual and a and a collective level and i think that so many challenges that are being faced especially in the usa i think multiple countries but i think especially in the u.s it's this um undermining of the nation and undermining of the the values and undermining of the greatness because people are expecting or feel entitled to perfection right people people feel like life is not supposed to have any difficulties and everything is supposed to be totally perfect and everyone's supposed to have this the same amount and you know no one's ever supposed to take an l and there's never supposed to be any pain or suffering or difficulty and it's just like never supposed to feel bad yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That that is how some people operate. Right? It's just, you know, and and then they beat themselves up over it, not knowing, hey, it's part of life, man. We all have our we all have our wins, we all have our losses. By definition, we're all gonna die, and everyone around us we know, every single person we know is gonna die. We're all gonna have multiple tragedies in our life just by the nature of human life and it's how temporary it is here on this earth. So that's the reality of it. And um I think when you You can view that in two ways. You can view it in a very sort of dark and morbid way and become nihilistic and just be, oh, you know, what's the point? It's all going to, it's all going to end anyway. None of it matters. Or you can do what you said there and be like, Hey, yo, I've got this day. I've got this time. I've got this month. I've got this life. Let me enjoy it. right. Let me, let me enjoy it. Let me do my best for myself, for my family, for my loved ones, for my community, for my country, whatever. Yeah, sure. We're you know we're gonna have our ups and downs. Sometimes we're gonna we're gonna want to complain, or sometimes we need to criticize something. But um, I don't know. I feel like the the world as a whole needs a massive dose of optimism right now. I feel like people are just sort of in this weird malaise, and there's so much negativity coming from all angles, and so many people are I think are addicted to negativity now without even realizing it. Um, they're complaining about the problem without I think realizing that they're sort of part of it. It's kind of like when you're in yeah. traffic and you complain about the traffic, but you, you 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 when you think about it, you're like, I I am the traffic. Like my car's here too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things too, where like I think when like in the first world, people typically live in a bubble, so they have this confirmation that like everything around them is normal and everything around them is the same as where they are, and then you know people typically look at things that are better than them and want those things but they don't notice the things that are, that are necessarily worse than them and mm-hmm. we have this phenomenon in poker like people only remember the hands they lose they don't remember the hands they win so it's kind of like the same thing where like when you're born in this bubble and everyone everything else is great around you it's just this comfort constant confirmation bias that like this is just how the world is but if you if you if you zoom out a little bit and you realize like well half the world is born is lives is born into a reality right you're not you're you are not you do not deserve this you're not like, you didn't do anything to to do this. This is no, like, meritocracy sort of thing. This is just complete luck, right? It's like flipping a coin. Um, you know, half the world's born on in a, a reality where they live on $5 a day, right? And so that's a complete coin flip. And poker, we have these coin flips where, you know, you go all in with two queens. Someone has ace-king. You know, you could win or lose that hand. And there's no... You don't have no control over whether you win or lose that hand. But if you zoom out and think about it, like, you're kind of born into a reality where you can win this, like, lucky coin flip of where you're born. And then, like, of course, how you play the hand matters in life. But, like, being dealt a winning hand is a, is a huge part of having the opportunities, like getting me at bat to get to where you are, right? So getting to that mm-hmm. next step, like you asked how I grew up, like I was born you know, in Southern California, I you know, had a loving family, I was given an education, like that was all, there was no meritocracy in that. I was just dealt a winning hand in life. And so, yeah. of course, sure, I played my hand well, I made good decisions, but like, you know, I'm very aware of that framework that allowed me to get the at bat and so anytime i go back to things that are happening happening to me in life depends how you look at it things are happening to you or for you but even if you look at it like it's happening to you i still say look when i zoom out in the greater scheme of things like i've had way more than my fair share of luck because of this like intrinsic nature of you know my upbringing and so like there's really no amount of like things that could happen i think at this point in my life that are like going to outmatch that just that just complete luck. Like I wasn't born in Somalia, like something like that, you know, like where it just it's just a tough reality, right? It doesn't mean mm-hmm. you can't, you know, change it or improve it or get out of it. But it's just like being born in the US is automatically like to me it's like hitting a home run when you look out at the global scale of two hundred countries where you could be. Um yep. and so I'm just super grateful for that. And I think, it, yeah, like you mentioned, like having that perspective is something I think traveling has really helped with that. I know you've traveled all around the world. You live in different places. Um, poker has taken me, you know, around the world of 50 countries. And so you see that like the conditions that a lot of people that are your age live in and that if you were born in that reality, you would be living in those conditions too. And I wouldn't have the opportunities I had today to be where I am. And so it's just like really given me this different perspective on life and just this like really place of gratitude that I, it's, you know, I have to consciously, I'm not like perfect. I have to consciously like evoke this feeling on a daily basis because you get surrounded by your own reality and in your own, my own problems and my own like, you know, first world problems, I call them. They're all first world problems, but keeping that, keeping my feet on the ground and that dose of reality. And then also remembering that lesson I learned from when there's those wins that like, just try and zoom out and realize that all of life is a win. Just being here, Mm. getting the at bat is a win. And so yeah, I think it's it's helped me operate from a better place of gratitude to be to be more humble about my 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 situation.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And travel is so important. I talk about it all the time. I know most people are still going to refuse to do it. But um, I, I I remain a uh, massive travel advocate, especially international travel, because it's like experience. Um, You can read about places you can talk to people from different places you can read about different cultures you know if you're intellectually curious now more than ever there's lots of ways to find out about things that are happening in the world or what other other places may be like but just like you can't substitute actual experience in anything um like I can I can read a book on poker I can watch videos on poker I can walk, go to poker games and watch people play none of that is is gonna be the same as me actually playing the game Right? Yeah. You you One have thing to playing
1: is more than a year. Yes,
0: all that. yeah, you have to experience it. So I, I find sometimes when I'm talking about I don't know tra- in, international travel or even going to different cities or whatever, you know, people will say, oh well, you know, I don't I, I don't need to do it because I can just read up on stuff or I can talk to people from there, or whatever. I'm just like, you you can and that's good. That's a good start. In fact, that'll probably spur you into wanting to travel. But there's just no there's no there's no substitute for it and. Um, I find, you know, with, with exceptions, I can usually tell when I'm someone talking to someone who's well-traveled versus someone who's never left their country. I can I can normally tell. Um, that's not to say that someone who's never left their country is like, you know, a bad person or is deficient or something, but just the, the perspective, the perspective, the, the worldview, it, it makes you see things. It just makes you see and appreciate things differently, both within your home nation and also outside of it. And it just lets you understand people better because you realize that, Um, you know, everyone thinks that most people, you know, if you, you grow up somewhere and that that's your default, right? If you, if you were born and raised in California, California is your default. Um, not just the USA, but California specifically, right? You think, okay, most of the USA is going to be sort of like California. That's my reference point. And you also view the rest of the world as if it sort of should be like California and you sort of compare everything to that. The same can happen. You know, if you grew up in Somalia, right, that'll be your default. And you're viewing everything around the world and all the other people and cultures and ways of life sort of through that lens. But if you go out there and you experience uh, different places and people, then, yeah, you you can see things from a greater range of angles. Maybe that's the best way to put it.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things you touched on that's really interesting is like one of the unexpected depths of traveling is not that you see – a different reality from a, a new perspective. Of course, that that's like per, perhaps more obvious that you're going to experience a new culture and be have culture shock. But what the real the real like interesting moment for me was after living abroad in Australia and then I moved to Asia, I moved to Europe, I you know, like, traveled around and lived in different countries. Was the feeling I had coming home and starting to question the things that I had never questioned before because I didn't have another frame of reference from which to even question mm-hmm. them. And so coming home and seeing my own reality from a different perspective and actually being more critical of understanding like why people see America or California in a certain way and being able to understand their point of view. That was a big pivotal shift for me. And I also think like you realize traveling that like all like people around the world, I guess there's a great quote. You don't see the world as it is. You see it as you are, but people around the world are like generally have good intentions. They're generally Mm -hmm. very kind. They generally want the same things in life. Like everyone wants, you know, respect and dignity and to be happy and you know, have a good life and so like Mm -hmm. just seeing that i think is really uh has made me more empathetic to like things and also just seeing like how distorted um the perception is of different things around the world like when you hear on the news people are like oh i heard that this is like that and then you think that too and then you go to that place and it's nothing like what consensus is at least in the in the mainstream like that's a very another another really fascinating thing about travel Mm -hmm. and, and seeing the world too—it's It's a great experience. I think I mean, especially I dropped out of school to play poker and travel largely. So like, a lot of my world education came from like, experiencing things on the road, learning about new cultures, learning about new people and like, learning through that experience. So to me, that was like a huge point in a pivotal uh, thing in my life.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I think the reason the phenomenon you mentioned, the, the reason why it happens, and I've talked about this a few times is because both the both traditional and social media have a massive negative bias, right? So if something makes the news, by definition, it's an anomaly. And given it's the news, it's probably negative, right? So just by something being on the news, right? The the trillions of interact of peaceful, civil human interactions that happen every day. That doesn't make the news, right? When something messed up happens, when there's some horrible disaster or there's a killing or there's an injustice or there's some brutality right that's the thing that makes the news that's the video that goes viral on twitter and on facebook and on instagram so when it comes to for example with with any given country and again i have this perspective because i've traveled so much and met so many people right i mean i'm here in the uk right now i know people in the uk i know british people who are afraid to step foot in america why, because what do they know about America? They know about guns, they know about shootings, they know about police brutality, they hear about racism, they hear riots. about school shootings, riots, right? Like anytime, if the USA is making the news in around the world, it's probably not something positive, right? At best it might be neutral, it might be an election or something, but that's also tends to be tainted with negativity, right? Similarly, when I'm in the States, I meet Americans who are afraid to go to the UK, why? Because they think they're going to get stabbed. They think there's grooming gangs roaming the streets, looking to uh, grape little girls. Um, they think that, you know, they're terrified of the <laughs> British people are afraid that people that there's lots of guns in America. Americans are afraid that there's an absence of guns in the UK and not even the police carry guns. Uh, you know, they're like, if I can't if I can't bring my gun, you know, I'm not even I'm not even going to travel. I'm not even going to go there. I know Americans who won't, who won't go to any country where they can't carry their gun, not realizing that in almost any country outside of America, you can't just carry a gun around. Um, but yeah, it's just th- these different perspectives are interesting. You know, I, myself, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, which is, uh, that that's a whole nother kettle of fish, because as soon as you say Saudi Arabia, people's brains immediately jump to, you know, the two or three bad things that have happened with the government or have happened on foreign lands or whatever. And that's just that's the whole perspective right there's no there's no positive they are not hearing anything positive it's just all the negative and it, and it sort of clouds people's judgment and it's a weird one as well because there can be there can be truth to it right do shootings happen in the US yes are there school shootings yes are there incidents of police brutality and unfair police yes is there racism yes is there all you see what i mean so it's not even like it's yeah, a lie it's just that yeah, it's but it's, it. Right. <laughs> this is the exception. It's not like you. It's not like you. You land in any city or state in the U.S. and all of a sudden, you know, you walk outside and people are running around having having shootouts and being being horrible to each other, or the, the, the police are just cruising around looking for looking for black men to beat up and shoot or something. Um, yeah. but that's that's some people's perception, unfortunately.
1: It's the thing where, too, like, in the U.S., especially because you're landlocked and there's not many other places to go that have significantly different culture. Like, in Europe, if you're in Italy, you go to France, you go to Germany. It's, like, you could see, like, thousands of years of different cultural worldviews. I mean, they're similar, but, like, they're very different. Like, it's a very different Mm. experience going from Italy to Germany. Whereas in the U.S., you know, going from, like, California, Nevada to Arizona doesn't have that, like, shockingly different culture, different food, different backgrounds, different, like, totally uh, way of life. And so – a lot of a lot of people I find in the US are, are in a spot where like um, they th- I like you mentioned thinking the rest of the world is unsafe because of the the selective news that you hear not mm-hmm. realizing that a lot of like US cities are more unsafe than the places they're talking about going <laughs> like just on an objective level of like crime or yeah. whatever you know <laughs> by, by, by far sometimes yeah by right? far it's sometimes funny, like yeah exactly by far sometimes too uh, and they also there's not this also like collective like sort of mass psychosis going on where like you see that in the US of like people like abandoning other people like on the street the homelessness problem Mm -hmm. like that's not a phenomenon of the rest of the world like I've never seen anything like what I've seen in in California and it's tragic but people are like they don't don't necessarily are aware that that's not like a phenomenon of the rest of the world too so it's like that's also like a a societal collective psychology thing and like a, a values thing too that's just like very different and I think traveling is is great for so many reasons yeah it's like I feel like I feel like if someone's young, I'm giving a talk at USC in a couple of days to a group of college kids. And I feel like, like great perspective that they could have that I'm going to hopefully impart is like, if you're in a spot to study abroad, like not saying drop out of school and do what I did. I'm not definitely not saying that, but like <laughs> even within the scope of school, if you could study abroad, like, you know, three months in one country and three months in another country, like that would pay its dividends in gold. Like it's pay its weight in gold. Like, um, I, yeah, like those sorts of experiences, if you, if there's, there's a way to do them, even within the scope of what you're already doing, um, that that's, yeah, it's, it's hard to think that wouldn't be worth it for almost everyone. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, man. So Alec with everything you're doing now, what is the, what's the, what's the main driver? What's the, what's the big goal?
1: That's a good question. I mean, like the underlying thing that I'm really passionate about, whether it's like, you know, coaching or building a training site or like, you know, I have a newsletter that I write about. It's called Wealthier, W-H-E-A-L-T-H-I-E-R. It's on Substack. Um, it's like about wealth and wellness. Like, I guess I'm really passionate about sharing things I've learned in poker that can help other people make better decisions because I think it's a really great uh, proxy and framework for life. And so like even going to give this this talk at USC, like just thinking about, you know, what I would say to my younger self, but like, you know, five or six lessons I've learned in my poker career that help other people, on their journey somehow as well. And so that's kind of like a big motivator. Um, I like, so that that's that's one part of it. A- another part of it is like, as a poker player, I really do love the game. So like, I just love the process of optimizing how to play hands the best way possible. So when it comes to like investing, I'm like fascinated with like trying to find optimal solutions to do things. And so like making investments is very fun for me because I feel like I'm playing poker at a high level and I could compete I could challenge my intellectual capacity and I make mistakes, but I can always try and get better and improve and iterate and get like 1% better every day. So I like, I love that process. Uh, and whether it comes in poker or investing or, or business, like that's very, very fun for me. But then when it comes to like my message and my brand and things that I'm sharing, it's largely just like, um, how can I synthesize the experiences I've had and largely the mistakes I've made? Like, like we talked about, you lose, you win more, you learn more from the L's than the W's. So it's like, how can I synthesize these mistakes and these things I've learned that hopefully I can like translate that into a piece of content that doesn't take me that long, but that can syndicate out to, you know, hundreds or thousands of people that can make a slight positive impact. And like you said, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of the, the default energy level of most, a lot of content and that content that's sticky is negative. And so it's like, if I can try and like my microcosm of like content and following to like create some sort of balance to that with like a positive message that could be uplifting and inspiring. Like, I think that's like very motivating for me. Um, It's something I deeply enjoy. And I get a lot of like, of course you get a lot of positive feedback from your audience too, but it's like, I think that's like important. Um, Something I feel like has meaning, like you said, you know, you can, You can look at the world like a dark place or like a positive place. And so it's like, for me, that's like a really important thing that I I do with my time and my content um, to give that positive spin on, on what's happening in the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, One question I did have is how has the game changed over the last 20 years As, as an outsider who's not familiar with poker, let alone professional poker, have there been some big shifts and changes in how it was then versus how it is now?
1: oh profound so basically um okay. like when when i started playing poker there were a couple books on poker that now are very outdated i mean certain principles apply but the strategy is entirely simplistic like very simplistic uh, and this was no fault of the of the authors that that strategy was way ahead of its time it's just that the game had not evolved so what happened with poker is that it was played by this very small niche of like you know what you what someone might imagine a gambler to be like this some cigar smoking gambler in a back room type of thing and then the internet grew things exponentially and so you had um mass uh awareness of poker because it was televised on espn or sky sport you know you know there's a game on sky sport i played that that, you know internet depending on where you are in the world like what tv channel but just to give you the perspective of like how big poker became in, in in the us and around the world and then you also had that accelerated by you know the exponentially growing internet so you had Millions of people coming online and playing a game that had formerly been played by hundreds or thousands, right? So you had this mm-hmm. like exponential growth of the game. And so with that become, becomes like a lot more intellectual thought being put into how the game should be played. You had that coupled with the rise of technology and AI. So when I started playing, there were no programs. There were no software that you could use to help you play better. And since I started playing, that software has evolved exponentially as well. So it started with a basic like number calculator. Without getting too technical, you could basically enter your hand into the software and you could enter the other person's hand and it would tell you your probability of winning. This is like a very simplistic calculator. But over time, these softwares, these AIs have evolved to become incredibly uh, complex down the game tree of like telling you exactly what frequency with which you should make each bet and with which sizing and in in which spot against which type of hand. And it could Mm. solve these like exponentially bigger calculations so that the game has changed dramatically in terms of like how it's played. Um, And so just, just for perspective, like, you know, a very, like a bad losing player today would be like probably a winning player 20 years ago. Like, and so like me, 20 years ago, that player that won, you know, a million dollars in 2007 would not be able to to win today in, like, a game where the buy-in was a $1,000. Like, I couldn't even win in that game today. Like, wow. there's just no chance. Yeah, so, like, the game has evolved exponentially. It's hard to, like, even sort of quantify it. Um, but what hasn't changed is, and this is what I, I learned, you know, throughout my career is, like, what hasn't changed is that there will always be people that work harder than other people. There will always be people that are ahead of whatever... The point is on the curve at that given time. So the game has changed, but there's still people that are better than other people. There are people that outworking other people that are people that are using the technology to their advantage. There are people that adapt and evolve, or there are people that get left behind. And that's just the phenomenon of like, you know, human nature and the rise of technology and where we're at in our, in our society. But that's been a fun challenge for poker. And that's maybe what's kept me captivated for so long is that like the game has changed so quickly that I've always felt like I could discover another layer of my of myself as well, of my own character, my own personality, my self development that we talked about. But also, I could discover a new layer of complexity to the strategy of the game because it's changing so fast, it's evolving so fast with um, the way that it's played on an international scale, and then like the technology as well. So it's been a fascinating journey to watch, and it, it's That's only awesome going to get man. better. Like technology is only going to get um, better with, of course, but with poker as well. And so I think we're going to see the game change more in the future too
0: how's ai going to affect it
1: well it already has right so like uh i wrote an article maybe 2015 about like whether machines will ever beat humans at poker and so deep blue beat gary kasparov at chess in 99 and so mm-hmm. that was like the first time that you know a computer was better than a human at chess and so at poker the it's funny because they did this challenge of like some of the best heads up players in the world meaning you play the computer one-on-one and the po- the, the the humans crushed it. Like they just crushed the machine. Then a Mm -hmm. year or two years later, the machine just crushed the humans. So you had this Mm -hmm. like exponential growth of uh, the AI software that just got a lot better. And this was many years ago now. It's like five years ago now where the machine crushed the humans. The machine still is learning to like play in a nine handed format, which is like what you do at a casino where there's nine players at a table. That's a little bit more complex, especially when there's multiple people in a pot because the, the game tree sort of gets a lot more complex. Um, but but it's, it's, it's there, like it's already, humans are already using solvers to tell them what the correct play was in that situation. Now there's a, there's a different component to poker than there is to chess, right? In chess, everyone has perfect information, so it's a game of skill with perfect information. You can see all the pieces on the board, there's nothing hidden, mm-hmm. there's nothing concealed, there's no, um, it doesn't matter who you're playing against, like the personality of your opponent or the mood of your opponent doesn't matter, like the correct move is always the correct move and the computer always does the correct thing, and it's always correct to do that thing. Poker's different, because the computer can tell you, hey, the correct move here is to bluff. Like, probabilistically, it's unlikely that your opponent has a strong enough hand to justify calling, or whatever the reasons are. You should be bluffing here. You should be going all in here with nothing, hoping that your opponent folds. But you're a human, so you can look at your opponent and say, well, the computer's telling me to bluff. I know the correct play is to bluff, but... My opponent uh, and I have history together. He saw me bluff Mm -hmm. him an hour ago. So he's not going to believe me if I bluff. Or he's losing, which is called tilting. He's he's playing bad because he's losing money, so he's tilting. He's off of his mental game. He's not playing well. He's not making good decisions. Or he's drunk. Or he has a big ego and he wants to show me how good he is. Therefore, he's not going to fold if I bluff him. And so Mm -hmm. your job using situational awareness and, like, EQ is to understand, like, what the correct play is, but also when to deviate from that play to gain a higher edge based on the unique circumstances of your situation, and that's an ever-changing, unquantifiable landscape that's like you know unique to every individual hand, every player, every situation, and that's why poker is so fascinating because you're never going to be in the same situation twice because even if you play the exact same hand twice, it's going to be against a different opponent, in a different situation, in a different mood, at a different time, with different history, uh, and so the the correct play becomes different because the correct play isn't what the book says. You're not trying to score high on a test. You're trying to maximize your value in a given hand against your specific opponent. So it's like, you have to be aware of like the nuances of this individual situation. Uh, And I think we see a lot of that in markets too, where people are like, Oh, this market is similar to the seventies because they both had high inflation, like whatever. Right. And it's like, well, there's other circumstances that are different about this unique market than that market. And so you kind of learn to like separate, these two things to make, to make these high level decisions. So yeah. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah. I see why you like the game, man. It sounds a lot like life.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is at a high level too. And if you, if you go in with that framework of like, how can this improve my decision-making skill mm-hmm. Uh, you're already ahead of the curve because you're already looking for first principles that you can apply outside of the game. And it took me a while to, to learn that. Like I didn't have that level of awareness or maturity or, or depth at 16, 18. But like now going into it, I'm also trying to like understand how I could use this process that I've learned in poker to help me outside the game. And if you go into it with that, that's one thing I'm really passionate about is to get people into poker, but also get them into poker because of the lessons that poker teaches them, you know? Uh, and so I think if you go in with that awareness and that goal, it could be a very enriching experience, but manage your money correctly because that's, awesome. that's also one of the lessons <laughs> you'll learn. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of people learn that the hard way, but that's yeah. a life lesson too. Like. If you uh, have I 100K think you, and I then think you have and spend it to. all on a Lambo, <laughs> you're wrecked.
0: <laughs> Alec, man, it's been great to talk to you. Where can people find and follow you online?
1: So it depends what you're looking for. I mean, uh, as you know, we're in the Twitter streets. Uh, so twitter.com slash Alec Torelli. Uh, I talk about poker, decision-making, investing, Bitcoin. Um, I'm on Instagram at Alec Torelli too. Just be careful of people impersonating me. I'll never DM you and ask for crypto, even though the imp- people impersonating me do. Uh, and then AlecTorelli.com, more about me, and ConsciousPoker.com if you want to learn poker. So if you want to learn how to play poker, uh, I have a training site, ConsciousPoker.com. We have a lot of free content. And my YouTube has like six 700 videos. I've been making them for 10 years. YouTube.com slash ConsciousPoker as well. So um, finally, I have an investing newsletter uh, about wealth and wellness. So getting 1% better every day, financially and spiritually. Um, so it's AlecTorelli.Substack.com. So yeah, come say hi to me on social too if you guys follow me. Um, follow Zuby we're probably going to get along um or maybe not I don't know but we'll, we'll battle it out on Twitter hit me up I'm very friendly I you know read my DMs respond to comments so I'd love to get in touch with you guys and uh say hi let me know you know if you found a cool takeaway or something like that um let me know I'd appreciate it
0: awesome Alec great to talk to you man and uh thanks
1: for doing this man. all this the best awesome. with everything man we'll stay in touch yeah Night you out. too man keep up the good work this was fun
0: Sick with the slang Sick and I'm destined for fame Do for the fam